Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich, and today I'm honored to have Aaron Anders with me. Aaron is the founder of Woo Tungsten, and you're going to hear a lot of pivotal moments in his uh, journey and how he has uh, started his company. As a reminder, Who Knew in the Moment, the premise behind it is those pivotal moments that in our life when they're happening we don't necessarily recognize however in hindsight we can look back and see the magnitude that that moment had on our life tune in and listen to how aaron's story has changed hello and welcome to another episode of who knew in the moment the podcast today i am honored to have aaron anders with me aaron is the founder of tungsten and you nailed uh, it it's exactly, <laughs> it's exactly how you said it it's exactly how you how you say it there perfect chris, chris taught me that i had to practice it though no. <laughs> so uh he he's an entrepreneur and uh the fun thing about his story and you're going to get to hear that today is that um the idea of entrepreneurship has always been alive in aaron so uh, i can't wait to highlight it but aaron thanks so much for being on today hey i'm i'm pumped to be able to spend some time together and and you know you know we're just talking before we we jumped in i i think that you know in the moment like in that moment that's a really that's a really cool thing and i think um you know storytelling is a big piece of it and i'm pumped to and and lucky to have been able to have a few of those moments along the way that it'll be fun to, to revisit with you you betcha so just to kick it off aaron uh so growing up you're eight years old and you notice that there are people in the neighborhood that are wanting to buy pop. And you say, well, maybe I can make a couple bucks selling pop. So let's start there and let's learn about that, that first kind of entrepreneurial moment. Oh, I mean, that's, that's such a cool thing to, to think back on, right? Like, and again, I, I don't, you're just, a, when you're a kid, you're, you're just doing what you think is fun, right? Like, you, know, you don't know any different. And, you know, for me, playing baseball was fun and playing golf was fun. And, selling stuff was fun it just was part of you know it just that's the way it was and yeah. uh i was again you nailed it. it was about eight years old we moved into a new new build subdivision there was more subdivision being built like the next block over we were like that last block of like completed houses when we moved in yeah. um it was fun because when it rained we didn't have grass yet so i had to play <laughs> in the mud like you know that kind of that kind of like like mental uh you know view of it and then you know I, I, it was the summer and i remember thinking and seeing like this truck go by all the time. And what is that? And they sell snacks to the the construction workers. And I was like, what are snacks? Like what snacks? And, you know, pop was one of them. And they drink a bunch of soda. So I was like, okay, well, how much is it? So I actually went and chased the truck down and saw how much is like what stuff. And it was a buck for I'm like a buck. Well, how much do they cost? And it was like, we can get a whole case of 24 of them for five bucks or whatever it was. And yeah. I was like, whoa, like, it blew my mind, right? Like that first thought of like, there's margin there without knowing you're thinking there's margin there. Um, so, so for me, I could go sell it for 50 cents and, you know, throw a, throw a case of pop in a, in a cooler on a wagon and drag it around and just go into construction sites and ask if anyone's thirsty and sell it for 50 cents and, you know, go back. And my mom didn't realize the monster that had been created because she'd have to go to the grocery store and get like another round of pop. And I'd go, you know, have to get a bigger cooler so I could like walk further because I'd be out of, out of pop. But it was like that first idea of like, had no idea what you're doing, but like, how do I scale this? Or I'm a one person thing. And does this whole thing work? Right. And I can't right. even imagine I mean, kids now. I can't imagine like sending my eight-year-old to go do a, like a three mile walk with a cooler, to go into random construction sites. That, you know, that just sounds strange, but you know, it, 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 um, yeah, as I said, it was just, it was fun to me. I, it was like collecting. That's how I thought of it. Like that wasn't, it wasn't about getting rich per se. Right. It was about right. collecting and like understanding that, wow, I can take like 
five bucks and I can turn it into like 20. Yeah. Okay. Like this is kind of a, a fun thing. So that was a really, um, yeah, really interesting piece for me. And, and really where the, it was the first time I sold something and it was, uh, as I said, no different, it's no different in my head as playing baseball or golf or anything else growing up. I love it. Yes. And that's an entrepreneurial mind, right? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a gift to be able to see things that way because not everyone does. Now, additionally, growing up, uh, you started doing some fishing with your dad and that became something that was a, a hobby and something you enjoyed. So talk, what about fishing, you know, really made you enjoy that? I, I love being outside too. Like the idea, I mean, um, you know, for me, I, I can't work in an office, right? Like being in an office is it's tough, right? Yeah. For me. Like, I just, I want to be outside. I like being outdoors. I like being active, like all that stuff. And, you know, for me, it was spending time with my dad and for, I, you know, I realized much later, but it was also getting little kids out of the house. Yeah. So that like, there's a bit of downtime at home, but it was just something that we did as a, uh, as a ritual, right? Like, you know, you do it as a bit of a ritual and I'm a pretty competitive person as I mentioned, you know, baseball and golf and even, you know, selling things is kind of competitive. And, uh, you know, for me that, that started tournament fishing. And once I, once I was able to be outside and have a competitive outlet and learn a bunch and it, you know, it's also again, fun, fun for me too. And I think like all of that stuff combined into this, like uh, perfect storm. And, yeah. you know, I started doing a lot more fishing and trying to get better at it. And then understanding that you can get better at it and how much better and then compete, especially when you're 14 and you're competing against 40 year olds, it was fun to win. Right. It's fun to yeah. be like a kid and then be like, what's going on. And so again, I think that that just really, it started off as just something that we did. And then it, it had a few more elements that got layers onto it, which really fueled, uh, you know, my love of being outside and then competitiveness and put that all together. And it was a lot of tournament fishing growing up too. Yeah. So let's talk how you got into that. So I think sometimes people's story of fishing is it was like the first time they got a bite, they were like, Oh man, that really just had me hooked. You know, like I wanted to keep doing it. Other people are like, well, first time I went out, it was kind of boring, you know, like I didn't catch anything or I didn't catch anything, you know, of size. And eventually it just, you know, it became something I like to do with my dad. So then it became a hobby or a passion of mine and it grew. How did that kind of formulate for you? That's a really cool question. Um, you know, cause I've never thought of it, but when, as you're asking the question, like what's going through my head is it wasn't like we would just go in the boat and sit and float around. Yeah. We fished from the bank all the time. So, you know, I remember like catching frogs and like <laughs> fishing for a bit and then like picking up a stick and like throwing it in and watching it like go down. Like it wasn't all just fishing. It was yeah. being outside. It was like, it's like going for a hike. So, you know, some people says, I don't like go for a hike, but like when you go for a hike, like there's other things that you do along the way when you go for a hike and yes there is the idea of like getting the views and doing different things but you know for me I was always just looking forward to being outside and then yes fishing was cool like catching what like hooking a fish and not knowing what it is and being what it, what is this gonna what's this gonna yeah. be how big is it gonna be and oh man I think this is a bigger one or like you know going down a, a river bank and just walking and catching a frog or a little snake or you know feeding a little snake, one of our worms, or, you know, just all those like things was, were so interesting to me, but then starting to go, well, I think there might be a fish over there. Yeah. Stopping and fishing and then catching one and then that becoming a part of it. So I think that's what it was for me growing up there. And, and it's still a bunch of that. I think, you know, Chris and I actually, uh, you know, partner in, in we went. he was uh, up this way. We went fishing on Sunday. It was the first time we fished together in honestly a couple of years. And I love it. Um, we saw a fish laying on the bottom taking a, a break and then got up and just took off and both of us were like i've never seen that before 
yeah. what the heck was that? So to be able to still constantly have like these other things that like that present themselves that are a bit different and unique and all that kind of stuff, I think is a big piece of it for me too. Yes, that's neat. Now, yeah, once again, we've said Chris a couple of times, Chris Van Vliet, he was on the show. Uh, and so now we have Aaron, his business partner on here. So you guys actually get to meet through fishing. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, I, again, growing up in competitive tournaments and a bunch of different things. And I ended up doing a bit of like a, a TV series when I was young and it was uh, fishing tips for kids. Yeah. So a lot of like the national shows would have like their show and then they'd have like this 30 second spot of like a kid's fishing tip. So we, we did that. And, and again, you think like the entrepreneurial side of things, it's like, well, there's no, we would watch fishing shows on Sunday morning, but there's no kids here. Like, I don't even understand, like they're in, I don't understand half the things people are talking yeah. about. Right. So it's like, can we like, can we put this in a kid's place? So uh, I did that for a few years. And then one of those national shows that, that we were a part of also had a national uh, fishing contest through the through the the, the the year and then adult division and then a youth division and Chris won the youth division one year and so they have their like spring fishing show the expos that you have and uh, they have a booth and so they bring the the winners of their contest and I happen to be in the booth for that national show and Chris and I actually met so when you're when you're, I guess we were 14, 15 and yeah. you got to stand in a, in a trade show booth for four days. Like it's boring enough as an, as an adult when you're running your business. So, you know, we had a bunch of time to talk and, and, and goof off and, and have some fun together. And then we saw each other there again the next year and um, actually lost contact. Uh, it's different, right? Different timing. Mean, that was 20 right. years ago. Right. So, yeah. uh, and then when I went to college, went to university and we were and I'm like, I know that guy. Where do I know that guy from? I saw him from across the, uh, across the field. I'm like, gosh, where do I? And then it hit me. I'm like, oh my god, that's Chris. Yeah. We we actually reconnected in in uh, you know in, in university, and we went to uh, you know a, a university party, and there's all these people hanging out until the wee hours of the morning, and we're like literally dead center in the middle talking about fishing. And, and, and we're like, oh, like, you know, it was just kind of one of those like reconnects where it was all of a sudden completely different again. So yeah, we met early on through fishing and, and reconnected through, uh, yeah, through school and, and uh, stayed connected ever since. How crazy. Yeah. I, I love that story. I mean, you, you knew each other and then, yeah, do, like you said, due to the times, you know, you, it's a little bit harder to stay in contact, things like that, but then inevitably uh, comes full circle in college, kind of rekindle the friendship and, and then okay. obviously it blossoms from there. No doubt. Yeah. We started fishing tournaments together. And, you know, again, we, we decided at that, that, you know, that college party that we we're going to fish tournaments next summer. <laughs> and then, you know, it's just, it's one of those funny things. The first time we ever spent in the boat together was in a tournament. So it's not like you get to know that person, but now you're, you know, we're committed to a full, a full series and a full season and spent, you know, countless 12 hour days in the boat together. And, and, uh, and yeah, it just really kind of, it was never, that was, there was no friction. It was just very simple and smooth. And I, and sometimes, you know, you say in the moment, did you know, like, absolutely not. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sometimes those things are just meant to be right. Like, it's crazy to think back 15 years old, if someone had walked by us and said, Hey, you guys are going to run a business together in two decades from now, we'd be like, what is this? Who is this person? What are you talking about? We're just trying to like make it through this four day week of, of, of trade show booths. But um, yeah, no, very, very cool. Absolutely. So in your college experience, then uh, you end up getting connected with a company called College Pro. 
and talk a little bit about, you know, what was attractive about the opportunity for you originally and, uh, and how you got started there. Yeah. I mean, everyone looks for a summer job in, in, in college. And, um, you know, for me, business was a, was it was an interest and, you know, I had some friends with different sports that I played along the way that, um, you know, that were starting to graduate college and they were, I, I, I saw two of them, they were talking, they were like interviewing for the same position, but neither of them wanted it. And I was like, why are you guys interviewing? Like, I'm naive. I'm like, why are yeah. you doing that? Well, like, well, there's not like a ton of jobs out there. Right. And so they're, I'm like, my two friends are fighting over a job. Neither of them want, like, I never <laughs> want to be in that position. Like, why yeah. would I go through all of college to be there? And so I'm like, well, I guess I better do something different, right? Like if I'm going to have to fight people for jobs, I should do something different. And then uh, I heard about this, again, a, a, a summer position where I could actually run my own business. And it sounded kind of cool. And as the more I learned about it, I, I realized I didn't have to go start my own business. It was you know, taking over an existing business and a home servicing business. And I'm like, well, that sounds really tough, but I think I can do it. And if I can do it and others might not be able to, I might stand out again. So I thought it'd be this cool summer job. I'll learn a whole bunch. I'm a business student. I should run a business. Like, I think I can make some decent money with it. Um, so I, I did it. And uh, my first year I got my butt kicked. Uh, like anybody who runs a business, let's yep. say for the first time. But the biggest benefit that I had with, with college bro is that I had uh, there's 150 other people running the exact same business in their own region all across the country. It's a franchise system, right? So yep. I can look at other people that are having success and learn from them. And that was right. like really interesting to me because again, competitive, yeah. I wanted to beat them, but I also felt like I could do better. So there's like that self-competitiveness. I'm like, wow, that person ran something twice the size I did. Yes. They've been around for a few years, but clearly there's a gap from where I am yeah. and where I want to be. So I ran it for another year because I just, I felt like I could do it again and do it better. I doubled the size of the operation. I was able to run from year one to two. And I thought, well, okay, like what if I did it for a third, would I double it again? And I did, but at that point, it kind of was ingrained in me. I got to run a home servicing business, a lot of like, you know, residential window cleaning, be outside all summer. My friends are fighting traffic to get into office buildings. I'm fighting a farmer's tan. Like, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm working probably more hours and way harder than they are, but like I had complete control over what I was doing and it, it just kind of became a part of me. Like it really fit some of those other things that were, were good fits for me along the way and the competitiveness and the self-competitiveness, it became almost like a sport outlet. At some point you stop playing sports at a higher level, but yes. to me, like business kind of became my sport that I could keep getting better at and improving at. And, you know, for me, I was surrounded at that point by a hundred other people that were trying to do the same thing that were all right. maybe different, but like there was this community of like, of trying to get better. And, and it was somewhere where I could go progress. So I did it actually every summer of, of college. I had no idea that was going to be the, the, you know, the, the path for me. I thought I was looking for a good summer job. I graduated. I then took on a full-time corporate position as a coach, coaching yeah. a bunch of other students that were starting to run it. And, and that was my full-time position. Um, and then from there took over uh, the province of Ontario to be able to manage their operations. And then after a few years of that, so 2016, I took over the operations for the rest of Canada. So, you know, yeah. I'd never, I never, ever, I, I remember being in my interview. I thought I would take a good summer job that help might help separate me so that when I went to get my quote career job, I wouldn't be fighting other people for things yeah. that I want. Meanwhile, like that was a decade and a half ago. 
so I think for me, like that was a really cool progress because it, without knowing it, 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 it fit a lot of things with me. And I learned a ton, like just fast tracked. It was like, it was like in sports being going up a level. Mm-hmm. Anyone's ever like played high level sports. And then you like make the team that's, a, that's one notch higher yes. than you were. And you used to be one of the better players. And then now you move up and it's the same game, but you're getting your butt kicked. Yeah. You progress. It hurts. Yep. But you get better way faster by playing with better people and being in more challenging situations. And that's what it was and is still for, for me right now. So. I, I am so happy you brought that up. So one thing that's been super impactful for me is when I really started reflecting on what did sports teach me, right? Because if you only ever thought of your uh, sport as, you know, a, a fun sport and never really reflect on like life lessons you can take away from it, you, you missed a big portion of what sports were teaching you. But for me, one of the things that was so relevant was uh, in basketball. So that was my sport. I played basketball and it's, if I missed a shot, yeah, it sucked to miss the shot, right? <laughs> I wasn't happy. I did. I felt bad. I let my team down at the same token. The next time I got the ball, I wasn't going to lose any confidence to shoot the next shot because I still believed I was a good shooter and I could make the next one. And I think similarly in business, you know, it's like, well, I want every deal to close or I want it to always go my way. The reality is it's just never going to happen. But some people lose confidence to do the next ask because it didn't go the right way. But when I correlate it to basketball, I was like, well, I would never stop shooting just because I missed one shot. Like, why would I stop in business asking for that? So maybe talk about one or two lessons that you've pulled away from, you know, some of your uh, competitive and sports things that have uh, helped in your business career. Yeah. I, when you're struggling, I actually got goosebumps all up because it's, it's, uh, I, I, I use that example of basketball you know, with frequency, when I try to describe it, like business is the most losing sport in the world, you know, like it's just the way it is. And I think sports teaches you to lose, right. You can go on a losing streak. Doesn't mean you're never going to win again. Doesn't mean you quit. Like that's not reality. Like I also think like you could have a losing season, you finish the season. Like that doesn't happen. Right. Like let's take the worst team in the NBA, say basketball. They don't stop at team 50 because it's over. Right. Right. you start working on the, like what's actually happening there is they're thinking about next season. Yep. They're going like, okay, great. Like, you know, they're starting to go, okay, what are our gaps? And they're not going to try and they're not trying to make the playoffs anymore. Like that's yeah. done. So but like w- what's next? And they start building for the next year. And probably honestly, if you're the worst team in the NBA, you got a three to five year window where you got to rebuild, yep. but you're still a team in the NBA, like at that point. And I think that's a big learning point for me too, is that like, you lose one game doesn't mean you're dead. It doesn't mean that the team that won the championship the year before doesn't actually miss the playoffs the next year. There's like ebbs and flows on both sides of it. You know, I think baseball for me playing a lot of baseball growing up, like the best hitter in the league is probably, you know, again, hitting somewhere around 300, which means that, you know, they're not hit, you know, that's a 30% success rate and they're like all time. Right. right? So as a, for a career, so thinking about that as like that's that that in that situation, but you have to be in willing to be to have a negative result two and a half times as often as a positive result is really, really important. Right. And I right. think thinking about that, and you mentioned a team game, like another piece of that is when someone misses the shot, like you don't blame them. Right. It, you don't, that's not that you know what I mean? Like there's a team element of, of going like, you can't externalize that. You can't say, yes. Hey, you know what? Phil missed that shot. And if he hadn't missed that shot, we would have won the game. You're like, how's that possible? Like how many shots get taken through a game? Like all of the different factors that come through and being able to, 
I think for me, calibrate some of that. Golf was different because it's an individual sport. Yeah. Man, sometimes I suck. Like you're just like, I just sucked. Like, yeah. Why? Well, I just I don't know. Right. It's okay to be like, I don't know. Sometimes you have to like dig in and go, what's that? if it's happening over and over and over and over again, you got to hit yes. the range and fix it. So you know what? Sometimes what happened? I just played like junk. That's yep. I don't know what happened. I played like junk. It's over. And and I go to you go to the next one. But I also never walked off the golf course on the 13th hole, knowing that I'm like, this round is just I, I, you know, this round's over. Like, no, you're you you finish. And I think yes. that's a really big piece of like all those different things combined are all parts of sports. You know, if I'm on the 13th hole, this is not going well. I'm trying to fix it for the next round. I'm not trying yes. you know what I mean? I'm not I'm not trying to like you know, save this round per se, I'm going to try and keep playing. But I think all those things together, uh, playing individual sports, there's no one to blame playing team sports. You shouldn't blame, right? Like there's not, cause you have contribution to all of those other things that happen along the way. So I think a lot of that stuff was really important for me in sports and, yeah. um, you know, it's the same thing in business. It's the same thing in, in, in life too, right? Like, I think there's, there's accountability, there's, uh, learning there's like the again finishing there's all those other things really play out a lot of different ways yes it's good a lot lot of yeah life lessons there so as as college pro is you know um, successful for you you know you're climbing you're taking over larger areas you're being tasked with more duties in 2016 uh you guys had started to uh fish with tungsten and uh, talk a little bit about how the whole idea of potentially building a, a brand came to be. Yeah. I mean, so uh, fishing with tungsten, uh, it's tungsten weights. So yeah. uh, a lot of artificial lures get weighted down so that they can actually, you know, go down into the, into the water column a different yeah. way or get through, through weeds, right. So to where the fish live. So uh, a lot of that was for years made of like, with lead and it's yeah. still a pretty prevalent thing but lead is a is a softer metal than tungsten a lot of companies are making a premium product made out of tungsten which is more dense so when that more dense metal uh, hits a rock you can feel it better mm. so I, you can feel what's going on um and on the flip side if you want to put a one ounce piece of lead beside a one ounce piece of tungsten the tungsten is significantly smaller so it it takes less away from the bait you're using and it actually a smaller profile gets it through weeds because you're not trying to push as much through. So I, that was I, what was starting to happen, but it's, it's triple the price. Maybe at the time it was probably more like five times the price. Um, so that was a, that was a big thing. And so I was starting to use it, but we have a, a, a type of fish called a pike here and they have really big teeth and they live yeah. in a lot of the same places as bass, which are fish that uh, we're seeking after a lot of the tournaments are for that specific species. Right. So when I sent, I, you know, I'd flip out the lure and a pike would eat it. He bites it off. It's gone. So, and those, you know, it, it was frustrating to be going, well, there's 12 bucks gone. There's 10 bucks <laughs> gone. There's 12 bucks gone. So we started looking at, at alternatives and, and I started actually looking at uh, sponsorships. Uh, they work with some other brands. I started thinking like, gosh, you know what, if it's a sponsorship, I wonder if there's actually like a, those companies are getting that price, that, that product that they're willing to give me at a potentially cheaper price or yeah. an allotment for free to be able to exchange for brand they must be getting it cheaper so let's figure out let's just figure that part out like is that an option yeah. and that's where it started and i started talking to chris because i was like i think we could we found a good manufacturer i i have the email saved um in my email where i sent him i think we could i think this could actually happen i think we could actually do this yeah 
So that's where it kind of went. And we went, Hey, look, like, let's get some samples. And the worst thing is we had to, uh, our first order had to be a thousand pieces. Yeah. And we thought, Oh my gosh, like a thousand pieces. Like, yeah. But I was like, you know what? The worst case, I'll have tungsten for the rest of my life. Yeah, I got a lot of fish. I'm going to use it. So if that's the worst case, let's try to build something. And so we're doing some product testing, but we decided to start the brand first because we thought, you know what? If it wasn't going to be tungsten and we have a community and a brand, we can probably introduce a different product to that community uh, and try and figure something out. So we're kind of going down that path of like, what's it going to be? But the, the tungsten one just felt like right timing. More people were starting to use it. It was extremely expensive, but prices were starting to come down because there was some competition okay. uh, and volumes um, being able to be used. And we were able to start uh, started as a tungsten brand, but we built a community first. I love it. So we're going to come back to that, but I want you to finish. So you you uh, got a thousand piece order. Holy cow, that's a lot. And then we do a Black Friday special. Talk about how that how long that thousand lasted. It was not very long. We were shocked, right? But it was interesting. We, when I say that we, we built a, again this community, and we learned a lot from that. I, I, I don't think we were, we weren't smart about it. We just, we were being, trying to be intuitive. We went, yeah. well, I don't know. We can't just like launch a website and hope people show up. So right. we went down the path of like, let's try and and, and build uh, an Instagram account. It's 2016. Things were different, but we'll yeah. build this Instagram account. We made it a repost account which was popular at the time, but I think what we did a bit differently was we were actually anglers and we would scroll and repost things that we liked. Right. Which meant others would. We built that community. And then from there, we introduced the, the, the product. So uh, yeah, it did not last long at all. The thousand, thousand pieces, if you will. Um, You know, we, we feel like we made some good decisions to get, to get it started, but we, we decided we weren't going to introduce the product until we hit 10,000 followers. We're like, if we're at 10,000 followers at the time and we've got this community, I think like that's the point we can introduce a product that took us about three months to do at the yeah. time. Uh, and then from there we introduced the product, but a thousand pieces didn't last long once we let the, the 10,000 people in on, on where we were going with it. And it was, it was a really cool start. We haven't had, uh, we haven't had a day that our site's been uh, active that we haven't had a purchase, especially even in the beginning when we had that, That's which awesome. was very, very cool. That is great. So as you're developing the product itself, obviously, you know, you and Chris are, I mean, very into the industry, but did you seek outside uh, opinions and things like that? Or was it more so, hey, we've got enough, you know, industry experience. We're just going to go with what we think. At the beginning, it was purely just what we think. And I think the product that we use, it's a, a flipping weight and a drop shot. They're pretty standard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd equate it to like, uh, you know, basketball. You're saying like basketball, like like the ball, yeah, <laughs> right? Like right. it's going to be pretty standard. I play, you know, for you, for like I played a lot. Like, you know, you can get a few things. You go like, this thing's either junk or this thing is like good. And, yep. you know, like that's kind of, that was enough for us in the beginning. But as we've gone through it, now we have, uh, you know, we're in the range of almost 500 SKUs we've got some high level professional anglers that we do work with on certain things and I'll pick their brain on, on different stuff. And, you know, is there something that you currently have in lead that you'd love to see in tungsten? And, you know, we're thinking of doing this thing over here, like, and get, we get some input from different people on design for, for sure. Um, but I do think it's a benefit to be part of the industry because as I said, I fished Sunday, right? Like I, yeah, right. You know, I, I'm in there, like I've got our gear tied on. And I think there's a lot of that where I'm like, if I won't tie it on, we, you won't see it on our site. And I think that's a big, big piece of it. So it's a little more of both now, but it's still probably 80% 
from just stuff that that we use and, and work on. Yes. Now, talk a little bit about scaling the business, right? So uh, when you first start, you, you don't know what to expect, right? You know, hey, we got a thousand pieces. We thought this could last me for forever. Worst case scenario. Well, it turns <laughs> yeah. out it doesn't even last like a week. Uh, yeah. But talk about scaling and, uh, you know, increase in volumes and what all goes into that from, you know, your standpoint, but also the business standpoint. It's... um. It's been a really interesting learn. Uh, you know, you mentioned College Pro. For me, that's a service business. Mm -hmm. And that was my background. That's what I've been doing for a long time at that point. Um, but this is an inventory business, which is very different. Yeah. Like very, very different. And it was a growing inventory business, which is also different. So we don't have like outside investors or like anything like that. But what we learned was that, you know, if we're predict our, our lead time is roughly six to eight weeks on product. So if we're predicting like that was something that I was used to and that I'd, I'd learned a lot from running the college pro business is, is building a plan and then and analyzing like where are we at and how quick is that growing and where do we think sales might be in six or eight weeks. So if it was going to be more sales in six or eight weeks than it is today, we'd need to bring in more inventory than we have today. Yep, so yep. what's what we did is and we were very careful to only grow as fast as our cash flow would allow. Yeah. So that was a really, really, really big learning point for me is like, we're doing all these sales. Why do we have no money? Right. It's like what is going on? But it's all that our inventory is growing yeah. because it's got to be able to withstand the next, what we're anticipating period of time. So that was a really interesting thing. Like, People think as they're starting a, a product business that you're doing a ton of sales, which means you're like rolling in cash. That is not likely the case, you know, because all well, your money gets tied up in future inventory because you think you're going to keep growing. So that was really something, again, for anybody listening that's thinking about starting it or how did that work or what that is or is experiencing that where you're like, I'm doing all these sales, but why don't I have any cash? Like that could be definitely uh, if you're if your inventory asset value is higher today than it was a year ago that's where all your money is yes. um so that was an important thing to learn and how to scale was to scale in order in ordinance with some of that and then bringing in new products adds another layer because now you've got another set of SKUs to inventory and maintain and grow inventory on so that's something that you know in terms of scaling the business that was really really interesting and challenging and still is because when we brought in retail which is another bit. So direct to consumers, how we started, it's still yep. how we do the majority of our business, but retail is a whole nother beast because you've then got terms. So if right. you're working with a retailer with 60 day terms, now I'm predicting more, but I'm also paying for the inventory and not being paid for it <laughs> 60 days out. So yeah. it just, it just exaggerates that whole piece. So I think for us, one of the things that we've always been able to do in scaling is stay pretty lean. It's yeah. Chris and I, uh, and then we have, uh, you know, the, the gig economy, that's a huge piece. We've got freelancers that we've fractionally been able to assemble without being able to bring on. So we've got a team of, call it eight to 10, yeah. um, but they're all fractional. And I think what right. we've always right. done is gone, hey, like once a, we hit a bottleneck, we need to put a person in place. So initial start, me on my computer in Ontario, Canada, uh, and or on my couch, <laughs> on my, my computer. And Chris, like in Florida at the time, <clears throat> yep. and that's where all our inventory was in Florida. And we'd get orders and Chris would work his day job and come home and pack orders and ship. And once we got to the point where he's like, I'm up until 2.30 in the morning right now, packing orders, like, <laughs> yeah. and we're getting more orders than we can realistically fulfill. We brought in a fulfillment partner, 
we went that way when we're trying to get graphics for our products and we're like we're trying to get all these graphics and we're like we can't keep up to the number of graphics and things that we're trying to build and whatever we brought in somebody that we have as as somebody that does a lot of our graphics for us accounting and and financials that's another big one you know it's different when yeah. you're doing you know 10 orders a month or you're doing a thousand orders a month now we want someone that's going to keep those there's a lot more liability on that so hey like i don't have hours and hours and hours to make sure that stuff's all clean so like let's make sure we bring somebody in for that but these are all they're not all full-time people right. it's really trying to go like where is like where is it starting to like like get some friction and and probably not optimized and we don't either have the time or expertise where can we go bring in a fractional person to to do some of those things but we've always done them ourselves so i think of like facebook ads and that like we ran those ourselves at some point we're like cool we know how this works let's bring somebody in that's better at it to try to get but now we have enough context on like what is good and what is not to be able to assess their performance versus just creating an expense line and going hey you you do it and tell me how it's going so i think a lot of that stuff in terms of scaling was big learning and we're learning it right now too we're still learning it we're still scaling we're still like okay well now who do we need next and how do we now manage a whole group of freelancers versus employees so i still think like we learn all the time yeah but that's that's kind of some of the pieces that we've seen as that business has grown that that we learned that we've just again learned and been forced to learn along the way yeah now you talked about getting into retail space and uh, anyone that gets a product into retail space knows that is not an easy thing uh and depending on the size of the retail space you're getting into it can differ right i mean if you're in you know here, here in the States, you know, I mean, Bass Pro Shop, Cabela's, those places are like, you know, the, the crown jewel, it's the really big spots, uh, you know, but you also have, you know, little uh, mom pa shops, you know, that right by the water, that's like, oh, crap, I forgot something, I better go get, you know, a few things. Yeah. So yeah. talk about the growth of the retail space for you guys and getting in your product, because once again, it's competitive. It, it is. And I think it's really, I think, again, the crown jewel is like that whole thing, like, can be the worst thing that can happen to some businesses. Yeah. And, you know, for us, we're in, uh, you know, a good example would be like a sportsman's warehouse and all that other stuff. If we had gotten into that early, yep. it might've crushed us. Yep. We yep. wouldn't have had the inventory nor the experience, nor the relationships with some of our vendors and manufacturers to be able to actually go and, and service that, that client. So, and we wouldn't have had the systems to be able to manage that client too. So I think that's, that's a really big one. Um, You know, I think retail is a hard one because I, you know, I say to Chris, I complain like crazy about retail to Chris. Yeah. You know, it's growing our business, but I'm like, man, it's, it's, there's so much more to it. I think for us, like we've got um, some of our, our uh, professional anglers really helped us with that. Not that they were making the calls, but it was basically like a, the, let's say like the blue check mark. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, this is good stuff. I think an understanding that a retailer basically needs 40% margin or you're not going to even get a look, yep. but uh, is important to know if you're going to go look at, at retail um, in general and the mom and pa shops, like being in some of those really, that was actually a really good thing to be able to prove to a bigger retailer mm-hmm. and learn how to work with retailers at the same time before you go in. And I think the, another piece is understanding like what's the buyer in a big retailer trying to, what are they trying to solve? And yeah. honestly, in COVID, we got into a lot of them because we are, are, the problem we could solve for them is, is inventory. Right. We could, we could get like, they didn't actually care at that point. If I was trying to go talk to them about price and what they're trying to solve or quality, like, 
doesn't matter. I'm like, I can get you inventory in six weeks consistently. They're like, I'm in. Deal. So like that was a big, a big piece of it. So I think, you know, retail is a cash flow challenge. It yep. sucks cash flow. Um, it is a lower margin by far. You're going to start playing games with retailers. So like defective product allowances. We're like, what are you talking about? They're tungsten weights. They don't, they're not defect. There's zero chance of this being defective or or marketing co-ops that also start chipping into some of your profits and some of those other things. So I think it's really cool to walk into a a Bass Pro or I get, you know, pictures from people that I know in Texas that, you know, a a couple, a year and a half ago, like they're in a Shields, like a big box store. And they just, they're like, you're in here. Like, how is this possible? And I'm like, that stuff's all really cool to get, but there is a, a, uh, an opportunity cost of like, how do you use your working capital? I know we're geeking out on some of like the, the business, but I'm like, is the working, I still don't know that I'm, we're doing the right thing. I want to be in there. We think the retail actually fuels our D to C like our direct to consumer. That's, that's why we, that's why we do it. That's the only reason we do retail is, is not profitability. It's like someone that walks into these retailers Again, no offense to any retailers. I love retail. Like we love yeah, right. that we're doing that, right? Like we're not going to stop that. But a really, really big part of why we do that is that we feel like it's brand exposure to somebody who doesn't know us. We're not an, yes. we're not a, we're not, we're not Nike, right? Yep. We're still woo tungsten. Or sorry, woo tungsten, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're, you know, we're, we're, we're not there yet. So yep. it, it gets somebody to, you know, we're on a shelf, someone knows about us, someone can hit our website, and then they, we can maybe convert them to a direct to consumer customer down the road. So we think it's intertwined, but retail, uh, it's, it's what, you know, especially in a competitive space, what problem are you solving for them that someone else might not yep. understand the, the cash flow timeline is kind of mucky, and that you're going to probably be over your head for a little bit as you navigate learning. And, and one of the other things I'd say, we have a, a partner from another brand that uh, we lean on actually, that we share one of these uh, uh, professional anglers with. Yeah. Uh, and we got to know pretty well. And, and just, just somebody who's like, not, they're not a competitor of yep. ours. We're, we're kind of friends in the industry Yeah, who's been in that before and really being able to pick his brain where I'm like, what does this mean? Yeah. Right. Like we're don't and not having like the the needing to have like the ego to be like, I should know what this means. But like, like, what does this mean? What are they? Why would they? Oh, okay. I yeah. know what that means now. Okay. So here's what I'm going to have to go do with that. And I think that was a really big thing is having some, making some friends in the industry that can, that can actually help you and, and you can help them back. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. I had a, uh, a gal on the show, Helen, and uh, she talked about how she got her product into, you know, some of these retailers and she was actually losing money uh, on the sales early on because they'd run a discount to like try and, you know, sell volume. And she's like, yeah, when you do that with the retailer, I eat the discount, you know, like that 10% discount just comes straight from me. It's not like we're sharing in that. And uh, she goes, but it gave me validity, right? I could say I'm in Walmart and because I'm now in Walmart, X, Y, and Z company's going to be willing to have it or, you know, this, you know, master anglers, you know, willing to talk to me about it. So I think, yeah, sometimes it may be a little bit of a lost leader, but it helps open doors in other areas. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really, there's so many decisions that come into things like that because there's the better, there's, you know, sometimes you just want to get the product in Walmart, like yep. just let me get it. But there's really a lot of that. Like, what is the loss? 
know, big box stores, like they've got all the leverage, like you're going to get squashed and squished yeah. everywhere. And that's, that's okay. But just knowing that that's what's coming, you know, just because Walmart makes a product order for a quarter of a million dollars, then it actually means like you, I hope you break even on that. Like right. I really hope you do. And it, depending on you, if you've got a 50% margin, let's say for your own sake, I hope you have $125,000 in cash to float that product order and that it doesn't break everything else in your other business, but you're floating that 125 grand in cash to make no profit. So that's what I mean. Like, where do you, that 125, like in working capital, could that get used somewhere else or not? Yep. I do think there's a bit of the ego sometimes with new brands and new products to, to, to want to have that like ego pat on the back that like we got into Walmart. Yep. We didn't even touch that until we had the, the, the cash flow to be able to actually and, and understand that we can fulfill an order of that size and how would that whole thing actually work? As I said, if we got into some of these big box retailers in our first year, we would be, I don't know if the company would still exist. We would have got, we just would have got crushed. Yeah, no, you're so right. Now, one thing I'd like uh, to hear a little bit about is starting a business, right? Um, so many times the, the barrier for people is, well, I don't have the perfect plan yet. I don't know all the marketing material. I don't know my exact, you know, plan of how it's going to be successful. Talk about just getting started, right? Like, hey, you got to have some idea of where you want this to go. But I, I would imagine that when you guys first created this business, you may or may not have had the vision you have for the business today. Uh, but talk about just being willing to start and, you know, then everything else we can figure out as we go. Yeah. And I, I think there's, we talked about it before, like the reality is it's probably not going to work, <laughs> which is okay. Right. Like, yeah. I think like that, like you're probably, is this like Wu Tungsten is not the only business that I've tried to start. Yep. Right. Like, I think like that's an element of it too. You're going to learn and iterate. And like, I can only imagine what it would have been like to have the perfect business plan right around like mid February, 2020, like stuff like <laughs> yeah. that happens right. too. Right. right. Like, so I don't know what to tell you know or you know call it in 2009 and that financial crisis or all the other things that are going to happen in the world right like i think yeah. that you know build up build that perfect business plan you're going to crush this retail store you know great and then like hit covid and now you're done for 18 months now what are you going to do right yeah. like you're going to open the perfect restaurant business plan and it's going to open on march 1st 2020 yeah that, that worked out really well you know what i mean so yeah. it's, it's better to sometimes just go go with it and learn. And that's not to go like haphazardly. Yep. I think like that's an important piece of it and to have an idea of where you want to go. And, you know, so I think Wu Tungsten, like we knew flipping weights and drop shot weights were their core. Like that's yes. just core. They were already being made. Like that's going to happen no matter where we go. And that those are all, we just felt like that wasn't a fad. That's not going to go away. They're not going to go moldy. Let's bring some stuff in. But like, I don't know what our volumes are going to be. We're going to guess and we're going to sell out of some and some we're going to hold on to for six months. But we just knew that that was like, it was safe, but it wasn't necessarily cautious like yeah. that, you know, either. So it's, you know, we started and if it didn't work, like I said, the worst case for us in that situation, I had tungsten for the rest of my life, Car carry on. So I think like when I think about starting or even like once a business has started in decision-making, decision-making freezes a lot of people too. If it's not a business killer, it's sometimes I would rather make 15 decisions and be wrong on 10 of them than make two decisions and be 
100 right 100 of the time hmm. that means i've made five right decisions versus two right decisions yeah but if any of those 15 are like business killers or could put us out of business i can't i can't make them that quickly yeah so I, I think like that's kind of what i think about the idea like if you know i love fishing we just talked about I fished all my life like if this fishing business didn't work i would have done another one i would have done something else i would have kept trying and iterating um but it kept working and it kept working and it kept going down some of those those paths so i think you know, anybody who's trying to start something, the best thing to do is if you know a fair bit about it and you're, you can live, if you can live with the worst case scenario, start. Yep. If you can't live with the worst case scenario, you might need to think about something else a little bit more or different or not do it at all. And I, I think like sometimes again, ego gets into it. No one wants to tell all our friends they started a business and then it not work. But as I said, I use that example. I get asked that every once in a while, like, um, you know, about starting and how do you build a perfect plan to make sure you know it's going to work. I'm like, you don't, because you could have had an amazing restaurant set out for March 1st, 2020 and oh. got like devastated, like a lot of other people did. So I don't know. I think that's my, my thought on it is if, if you can live with your worst case scenario, you better get going on it. Cause if you don't, someone else is, there's probably 30 other people right now that are thinking or more the exact same idea you do. Yep. Um, so get on it before they do. And, and you might have something that's really successful and something that you can build on for a really long time. You bet. Now you segued perfectly. And that is, Hey, this COVID thing happened. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden uh, there was a very few amount of activities that that one was, uh, I guess, socially acceptable to do. And uh, fishing happened to be one of them. And yeah. because it was one of them, uh, you guys actually got recognized as one of the fastest growing companies in the Inc. 5000. So yeah. once again, I always think uh, accolades like that, are, they, they sound really cool, but it really is just a testament to all the hard work that you've done, right? So talk about how that uh, the last year has worked out for you guys. Yeah, we're very fortunate. Like, again, I know COVID uh, hurt a lot of businesses for really bad and honestly for a really long time, I think. And, and we, were, we were fortunate, um, you know, but we were able, I think one of the biggest things you know, again, the moment we were at the Bassmaster Classic, it's like the world championships of bass fishing. We were exhibiting there for the first time on, it was uh, March 8th to 10th, 2020. And we get a lot of our product overseas and uh, they were having troubles early. Yeah. yeah. And literally I said, they were like, we're having a hard time. I was like, just, I don't care what it is. Just put it in boxes, send it to me, invoice me later, whatever you can get to me. I can't show up to an expo and have no product, right? Like, yeah, just send it to me. If we buy it on our site, send it to me. Cause yep. again, what's the worst case scenario? I get a bunch of stuff that's not there. I can get it into our warehouse. Yeah. Fine. So uh, back into our warehouse, like no, no problem. So that's where it all kind of started because the next week, everything started to get like a week later, everything. Was right. Down. So the benefit what we the decision we made then was a lot of people were tightening up and we overbought inventory because that, that experience is I went, what if we can't get inventory? Like we, th right. we didn't think COVID was gonna last two years. Yeah, right. So I, was like, I was like, what if this thing lasts like a month and we can't get more inventory? Right. For like May, June, July, which is our, our busiest season. So we yeah. overbought. We just overbought, 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 uh, emptied our every cash that we could possibly put into every dollar. We could zero everything. Let's get inventory. And we did, and a lot of other companies froze. And yeah. so a lot of other companies, when I said retail, like a lot of other companies didn't have inventory. Mm -hmm. And we were one of the only ones that did, which helped us really acquire a lot more customers in a time that was there. And that wasn't, I don't know, that that, that wasn't like visionary, crazy thinking. That was like, oh my gosh, this was a really hard thing. We also know our products don't expire. The worst case for us is we have this inventory. We have an extra six months of inventory. Yep. No big deal. 
let's go that way. I think that's a better worst case scenario. And we did it. So, so yeah, it was a really challenging year for a lot of people. And, and yeah, I mean, we're navigating just like everyone else was in, in everything else. And how's this going to be? And are people going to start selling all their boats? Cause I remember 2009 when like the stock market, yeah. crashed. I was in a, it was in a airport on a layover watching the stock market just like literally drop last March that day that everything just kind of went crazy. Yeah. But the last year was, was a really cool year for us. And, and uh, it was one that we're proud of that we, we just kept moving. Like we just kept yeah. going. We just kept doing the work. We just kept doing the work. We just kept doing the work. And, and yeah, we got, it was cool. We were number 234, I think it was, or 236 on the Inc 5,000 fastest growing companies. I mean, yeah. that's really, really cool. But I think what we, what we were is we had this fortune of like all the foundation that we built yep. that we could lean into. And then again, we've got a product in an industry and we just made the right, that right decision, let's say to go, we're going to over index on inventory which was a, I don't know, it wasn't actually that hard of a decision to make. It wasn't an easy one, but like, it wasn't that hard of a decision to go make, but like making the one decision that way versus the other, if we didn't have any inventory in May and inventory delays were happening the way we were, we would have had a really rough year. It would have been really, really rough for us. Mm -hmm. uh, we would have missed a really big opportunity, but we were lucky enough to take advantage of it because of that. And our business grew and, you know, it, it's probably flat-ish this year but that's that's good because we're bringing in a bunch of new products we're shifting yep. a bunch of like our you know our business and it's giving us a bit of space to, to to maintain but then to add a freelancer here or swap one out or work through a bunch of different things so it's been kind of cool yes well Aaron I appreciate your time and uh, just sharing you know the journey of you but also the business uh you know it's so fun to see you know the entrepreneurial side of you as an eight-year-old the fishing side of you you know now today and uh, seeing all those things come full circle for you. And the, the thing I want to highlight most is there's no doubt that part of the business's success and continued success is just due to your passion for the industry, right? Um, you know, it's not like you happen to walk into a Dairy Queen and you're like, eh, I mean, I kind of like ice cream. You know, it's like, now, this is something that Aaron is very passionate about. And so that is very evident as you speak, but it's also evident in, you know, the success of the business as well. Yeah, I'm looking at my, my desk right now. Like, I got... Yeah, like fishing lures. I got my dad. You know what I mean. I had junk everywhere. Like that's just where it is. Like I've got our uh, this is the samples for our new product. Right, right. You know what I mean. Like I've got all this <laughs> stuff all over the place. Like these are the some of the stuff. Yeah, again, like just it's it's there. And when you're passionate about something, you can put the time in. It's it's why you'll do something at 11 p.m. after your kids go to bed. It's why you'll try and get get an hour or something in after. It's why I'm tinkering around with different things. Like that's, that's the only reason, right? Like that's the only way it works to, for me, at least long-term, I think, but knowing a lot more about it allows you to make better decisions and, and really talk about it uh, a lot. So, I mean, thanks for, thanks for having me on. And, and again, Phil, it was awesome to, to get to, to know you a little bit and chat. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's brought me back to some of those like moments in time, if you will, like, you know, that moment, did you know it when I'm like, it's, it's really cool. I love it. Well, thanks again, Aaron. I love Aaron's story and how he really just found a way to follow his passion and cultivate that into a business. I think so many times what we're passionate about, we're willing to go through the struggles and the hardships because we're passionate about it. If we're doing something strictly for money, it's easy to fold or not fight as hard in those tough times. Aaron, thanks again for sharing your story. Everyone, for your next fishing adventure, check out Woo Tungsten for your next uh, fishing piece of gear.